It's uh, it's really lovely to see you this morning as we continue our journey through the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, don't worry, right in front of me there is a clock. And, uh, and I knew the order of service, so this will be slightly shorter this morning by at least a minute or two. We're going to look at two chapters in the book of 1 Samuel. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 9 and 10. We're not going to try and look at everything in here. Uh, So if you've been reading ahead and you've been uh, exploring it uh, and and we don't look at what you've been looking at or the questions that you have, I'd love to to chat to you if if you'd like to do that. We're just going to take a broad sweep as we look at the first king of Israel, a man called Saul. And uh, and he will be the the first king. This real significant change in the in the history of God's people. And we want to explore a little bit about the story that we'll read, and then a little bit about what we can learn about who God is as we explore it together. This week I I was at Cape and Ray on uh, on Wednesday night, and uh, with the students we were we were helping hopefully, <laughs> with a, an assignment that they were doing as they were to interview a church leader. And I'm going to ask questions and then reflect a little bit on the response. And here's one of the questions that was asked. The question was, why do you think there have been so many scandals involving high profile church leaders in recent years? And what should the church be doing to see fewer? That's a good question. That is a good question. And and while we're not going to answer all of that this morning, um, it is a good question. But we can sometimes think that that a, that a high profile leader among God's people, when when there's a when there's a fall from grace, when there's some scandal, something happens, we can think that's a modern day thing. But it isn't, as we read in Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. And when we think of King Saul, if you've been a Christian for a while or if you've been familiar with the kind of storyline of the Bible, as we start to look at him, it's going to be very easy to jump ahead and, and think about the end of his reign because it, it's all going to go horribly wrong. And, and we can think of, and Saul's really known for what happens at the end when, it, when everything goes pear-shaped. But we're picking up the story right at the beginning. Uh, and the beginning of, of Saul's story is one about hope. It's one of victory. There's, there's, uh, there's real potential. And there's lessons that we can learn from Saul as we track through. And we're going to find he's very relatable. But we're going to start with, uh, with his call and, and, and how well things begin. And I want to do two things. We're going to look a little bit about the story of Saul and a little bit about what we learn about God through it. So I'm going to read some verses. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 9. I'll start reading at verse 2. I'll go to verse 17. We'll not read all 54 verses. We, read, we know that, that uh, there's a man in Israel at the time called Kish and he's a man of standing. Verse 2. Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. Now the donkeys belonging to Saul's father Kish were lost. And Kish said to his son Saul, take one of the servants with you and go and look for the donkeys. So he passed through the hill country of Ephraim and through the area around, I don't know, and they did not find them. They went on into the district of Shalim, but the donkeys were not there. Then he passed through the territory of Benjamin, but he did not find them. 
When they reached the district of Zuf, Saul said to his servant who was with him, come, let's go back or my father will stop thinking about the donkeys and will start worrying about us. But the servant replied, look, in this town, there's a man of God. He is mighty. He is, sorry, he's highly respected and everything he says comes true. Let's go there now. Perhaps he'll tell us the way to take. Saul said to his servant, if we go, what can we give the man? The food in our sacks is gone. We have no gift to take to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered him, look, he said, I have a quarter of a shekel of silver. I'll give it to the man of God so that he'll tell us what way to take. Verse 10. Good, Saul said to his servant, come, let's go. So they set out for the town where the man of God was. As they were going up the hill to the town, they met some young women coming out to draw water. And they asked them, is the seer here? That's the prophet. He is, they answered. He's ahead of you. Hurry now. He has just come to our town today. For the people have a sacrifice at the high place. As soon as you enter the town, you'll find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. The people will not begin eating till he comes because he must bless the sacrifice. Afterwards, those who are invited will eat. Now go up, you should find him about this time. They went up to the town and as they were entering it, there was Samuel coming toward them on his way to the high place. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, about this time tomorrow, I'll send you a man from the land of Benjamin. I'll send, <clears throat> anoint him a ruler over my people. He will deliver them from the hand of the Philistines. I have looked on my people and their cry has reached me. And when Samuel caught sight of Saul, the Lord said to him, this is the man I spoke to you about. He will govern my people. We'll stop there. Just to, to fill in what, what happens, uh, Saul and Samuel talk together and uh, and they 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 kind of they, they share and then privately Samuel will anoint Saul as king over Israel with no one else there with no one else watching uh, and then he'll send him on his way and he tells him things that will happen as he travels back to his dad after finding these or not finding these donkeys and these signs are fulfilled and then they need to publicly recognize Saul as king so they call all the people together. And they and they, they kind of cast lots. That's how they would have decided to take the tribe of Benjamin. They narrow it down right to the family of Saul. And just to pick up at the end of chapter 10. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord. Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he's hidden himself among the supplies. So now all of the eyes of the nation are watching. And Saul's hiding away from that limelight. Uh, they ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. And the people shouted, long live the king. Right, let's, let's see where we go in the next few minutes. Uh, noticing things from, from Saul's story. The first thing I want us to notice is that the ordinary is important. The ordinary is important. Notice that the, the very ordinary situation that the Lord has given us 
to give us an insight into who Saul is. Who is this first king of Israel? I find this really interesting because God in his sovereignty could have recorded anything for us about Saul's life to help us understand who he was. Who is this man who is going to be the first king in Israel? And what we would expect is is an insight into someone who is very gifted or very courageous or very strong. We might expect a story where it displays his, his real wisdom in a tricky situation or his strength as he fights off, you know, 10 robbers or something. Maybe some insight that he shows in dealing with the complex and tough situations in life. Something that reveals his mental toughness or his strength in adversity or his creativity. But instead we get a story about him looking for some donkeys and not finding them. Be honest. I wonder as we were reading, I wonder we're thinking, what is happening? What, what is going on here? This, 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 this really groundbreaking moment in Israel's history, they are going to have a king for the first time. This is a revelation of who this king is going to be. This is an insight into his character. And we get a story about him looking for some donkeys and not finding them. And I think that's the point. I think that that's the point. You see, how you do the little things is how you do everything. It's it's life in the ordinary, it's life in the day-to-day that's actually really important. And the Lord has chosen to to this this account of his life to to show us who is this man. You see, as as he sets out to do what his father has asked, he's he's probably reasonably well-off, he's from a family of standing. There'll not be that many folks who come from a really kind of affluent background, a place with a lot of privilege and they're asked to do something fairly menial and they do it with such thoroughness and such uh, wholeheartedness as what Saul does here. This takes him a long time. It's at least three or four days. All his food's run out. It's a lot of walking around. It's, 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 it's a thankless task, but he does it wholeheartedly. See, life's made up of the little things. Life's made up of the little things. How many times have you found yourself in one of those moments where you maybe you're talking with a friend or you're confiding in somebody about something that's been particularly frustrating or hurtful or challenging? And as you share, maybe tears are starting to roll down your cheeks. And you say, it's so silly. It's such a little thing. Yes, that is what life is made up of. The little things. It's the little things that are so important. It's the little things that are so precious. It's the little things that are so beautiful or difficult at times. Here's where I want us to to take into the week that's coming. I want us to invite God into the little things. Invite the Lord into little things. Here's the wonder about what it is to, to, to follow Jesus, to be a Christian is that Jesus has not only come to die for us. He's not only been raised again, victorious over darkness and death and sin. He's not only ascended into heaven, but his spirit comes to live within us. God himself comes to live within us. So let's take him into the little things of life. 
into that meeting at work, into that uh, social event with the neighbours. Don't wait for the big things in life to define us. We're defined by the little things, the ordinary things. The ordinary is so important. So don't wait till something big's happening before you call the family together to pray. Pray together about the little things, about that thing that's happening at school, about this decision at work. Invest in the little things in the everyday. God himself lives within us. He goes with us into everything. He's not only interested in the tragedies and the big stuff. He's very interested in finding the donkeys. Very, very, very interested in that. The ordinary is important. Then, secondly, and really overlapping with that, as we follow Saul's story, character is seen in the everyday. Character is is seen and evidenced in the everyday. I love Saul's humility. Just for this morning, put Saul's second part of his life on, on one side. There are a couple of niggles even in here, but we'll come back to them in the weeks to come. But but look at look at who he is. He he's, he's a, grows up in reasonably influential. Um, but he's asked to do this medial job and he does it well. He does it thoroughly. And then I love how thoughtful he is. After after being sent on this task to look for these donkeys, he says to his servant, well, "We better go back because they'll start worrying about us. They'll stop worrying about the donkeys. They'll start worrying about us." I I don't know about you, but when I'm halfway through a task. I find it very difficult to pull away because somebody might be worried about something. I want to finish it. <laughs> I want to get that. I want to see it through to the end. And, and there's a thoughtfulness to him. It's been a very thorough search, but he's aware of what his father might be thinking, what his father might be feeling. I love the humility as he talks to his servant. He doesn't say, right, we're going. He could say that. It's his servant. But he talks to him. He says, I think we need to go. My dad will be getting worried. And his servant has the right to say, but what if we went to see Samuel? He asks and he listens. I I love that Saul listens. He listens to his servant. He listens to Samuel. He listens to the the servant girls as they go out to draw water. He listens. A much underrated characteristic listening. He listens. There's a a humility uh, about him. And our character is evidenced in the everyday. So in the the small decisions that we have are actually quite important. In in the way that we we relate to family and friends, the way that we operate is, is actually really significant. And the Lord chooses to highlight these things and say, this, there's not a man like this in Israel. That's what Samuel said about him. Let's see what we can learn about God in these verses as well. There's three things and they're all short and beautiful and important. First of all, what do we see of the Lord? We see that God is sovereign. We see he's sovereign. We see he's in charge. I wonder, we're only up to chapter 10 in 1 Samuel. I wonder if even at this moment, there's been a bit of frustration as we've been reading through the book. Because at times the people are doing well and then they're doing badly. They do something good, then they do something evil. 
we're kind of flip-flopping. The situation is a little bit messy at times. But God is in control and he's actually progressing his purposes and plans even in the mess. Hundreds of years before, as the people were heading into the promised land, this is what God said through Moses. Deuteronomy 17. When you enter the land, the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it. And you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint a king the Lord your God chooses. That's a remarkable verse. That's a remarkable verse. The people of God have chosen to have a king to be like everyone else. It's a rejection of God. But God knows it's coming. It's not a surprise to him. He knows and he'll actually use the kingship to show the people what a good and wise and righteous leader is, as well as the flaws of of leaders. As early as Genesis 17, as God calls Abraham, he says that there'll be kings will come from his family. What's happening in Samuel is, is messy at times. But even in the messiness, God's in control. Even in the messiness, God's purposes are progressing. The truth of the sovereignty of God is a doctrine the church has held for, for, from the beginning. And it's a doctrine of comfort. In the mess, God is still in control. He's still at work. He's still doing, uh, kind of moving things forward, even in the mess. And of course, we have free will to make decisions. And we're held accountable for those. And the, and, the, and, the, and the meshing of free will and sovereignty is not something we're about to unpack. But nobody really understands how that works. But both are true. God is sovereign. Secondly, God is gracious. I loved where we finished last week as, uh, as, as Alan was helping us through a rather challenging chapter in chapter 8. And we saw that the king had asked, the people had asked for a king and that's a rejection of God. And we finished by looking at the prodigal son and the father in the parable of the prodigal son. As, as he has two children and the youngest comes and he says, give me my share of the inheritance. In other words, I want what you have, but I don't want you. And the father gives him that share and he goes off to a foreign land and, and wastes it and wild living. And the, and the father gives the son what they ask for, even though it's a rejection of him in order that he might welcome him back. And the, and the relationship might go actually go forward and grow in, in, in love and appreciation. And, and that's a little bit of what's happening here is God's people ask for a king. They're saying, we don't want you to be king, God. We want the victories. We want the prosperity. We we want the security, but we don't want you. And remarkably, God gives them a king. He gives them a king. And he does so, even though he knows that's not ultimately going to make them happy. But he does so and even uses that to bring them back to him. For he's so wonderfully gracious. However far away we've gone, whatever we've done, whatever we've said, God is there waiting to welcome us back. He's welcome to welcome us home. This is outstanding grace 
This is what's so amazing about grace. And if we think that's a little bit scandalous, that's a little bit dangerous, then we're just about grasping what it is. Because it is. Wherever you've gone and however far away you've been, God is waiting with open arms for you to return. God is gracious. And thirdly and finally, God is consistent. There is a a, a principle through the pages of the Bible that says you reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. We see it in the big storyline of Samuel. We see it in Saul's life as we explore that in in the weeks to come. But God is consistent. We reap what we sow. God says, if you ask for a king, then he'll take your sons in the army. And that happens. You take your daughters in his service. That happens. He'll tax you heavenly, heavily. That happens. He'll take the best of your land. And it happens. And within three generations, at the end of Solomon's reign, the people are crying out under the uh, pain of, of, of a king. This is what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. Don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. What do we learn about God? He's sovereign. Absolutely. He's gracious wonderfully and he's faithful or consistent we reap what we sow you you may have heard this before um partly because i've quoted it before um but it is said they sow a thought and reap an action sow an act and reap a habit sow a habit and reap a character sow a character and reap a destiny that's why the ordinary things in life are so important. That's why the little things are so, so important. We never choose to make a massive mistake, but it all starts with the day-to-day, the little, the ordinary. So where does this land for us as we close? Where does it land? It lands like this. If, 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 you're, if you've turned away from God and have been on the run, then you need to know that he's still there with his arms open. There is amazing grace. There's forgiveness. Because that is God's nature. That's who he is. We we also need to know that he's in control even in the mess. Even when we can't see it. Even when we don't see it. He's he's still on the throne. Or he's in control. And it lands for us as we go into a new week, knowing that if you're looking ahead and this week, you think, well, it's a pretty ordinary week. This is a pretty normal week. Great. Then then, then live it, knowing that it is eternally significant. It's the little things this week that will make the difference. So live it on purpose. Bring God who lives within us into the little, into the little stuff. And, uh, and allow him to take the consequences long term. Allow him to, to work those out. Let me pray as we close. And, uh, and I'll ask the band to come up as they'll help us uh, in a final song. <clears throat> Father, we thank you that the Bible is not a history book alone. 
but it's alive. As you take it by your spirit and you uh, apply what we read into our own lives, even now. Father, if you've been speaking to us this morning, then I trust that you will continue to uh, remind us. And may we have the courage to act on what we've heard. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.